We're continuing our series on what it means to experience the fruit of the Spirit as we walk in the Spirit. We're going to be looking at a bunch of scriptures today. Before we get there, I want to encourage you. I, I gave a wrong date last Sunday. Our New York City mission pastor will be here with us uh, in two weeks. And that will be actually the 28th when he'll be filling the pulpit, but also an information meeting. If you've ever wanted to go to New York City, this is your chance. You can go with your church and you can make a difference. The whole world lives in New York City. Matter of fact, the church here that Daniel McGee pastors, in a one square mile, they have more countries and more ethnicity than any other part of New York City. Almost every nation is represented in this one square mile. We want to encourage you to pray about possibly going. Uh, put that on your calendar in that afternoon and Sunday, uh, the 28th. We will tell you more about the opportunity coming this October. Also, want to start giving you a little bit of a lead on a new ministry that's happening. As Roe versus Wade has been overturned, and now uh, we have that opportunity to minister to women, uh, there is something in Oklahoma that's very unique to our state. Instead of Planned Parenthood providing services to women who are pregnant, now faith-based groups can provide those services. I'm thankful for Hope Pregnancy Center and, and other ministries that are out there. Uh, and we get to come alongside in that market as well to minister to women, no matter what background or where they're at, by providing resources, uh, mentoring, and education. So in the month of September, you'll be getting more information. We're going to be doing a baby drive. Uh, not a baby drive, that'd be like collecting babies. Baby resources drive. And that's where you can donate diapers and binkies, if you know what that is, a blankets, a formula, all those kinds of things. And out of that, we will be a storehouse that will be able to provide those things to women in our community, build bridges into their life, and hopefully reach the next generation with the gospel. So be praying about Community Bridges Parenting Services. Be watching for more coming next month. Well, we are digging in on the fruit of the Spirit. Last week, we looked at the first characteristic of what that fruit should look like in our lives. It should look like the love, God's love, coming from our lives. The second characteristic is the issue of joy. You're going to be surprised at how much the New Testament speaks of this issue of the joy being the fruit of our lives, those who know Christ. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. Some of you have been blessed to grow up in a Christian home, in a Christian environment, and you were taught... That, uh, about joy. You knew where joy came from and where joy resides because I've got the joy where? Down in my heart, right? Well, that's not what I learned. When I grew up, here was my song. Jeremiah was a? He was a prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet. All right. What do you mean bullfrog? Where's that? Yeah, no, that was my song. Now listen to the rest of it. This is how I learned about joy. Because you see, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, and he was a good friend of mine. Kind of guy's messed up and has come kind of joy because a bullfrog is his friend. I never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his wine. The dude had some mighty fine wine. Singing, joy to the world, all you boys and girls now. Joy to the fishes. What in the world? What kind of joy is this stuff? We got a bullfrog, we got fishes in the sea, and it's joy to all the boys and the girls. I had a twisted, distorted view of joy. Another song came to mind, the Beach Boys sang, Help Me Rhonda. What in the world does that mean when it relates to joy? Well, there is a better song that many of us know that teaches us about this joy. I'm going to put the words up on the screen. We'll be singing this in a few months, believe it or not. 
Joy, say this with me, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Now that, say it out loud with me, all right? Second line, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And let heaven and nature sing. Let every heart prepare him room. You see, joy is found deep, deep down in our hearts. It's the only place you can experience it. You'll never experience it in the ocean with a bunch of little fishies. You'll never experience it when you're going gigging for frogs. You can only find it in your heart when you trust Christ and allow him to dwell in your heart. As a result, when you open your heart to God, when you acknowledge your sin and your need for a Savior, we don't just receive Christ so we can go to heaven one day. We receive abundant life in Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will exude love and in this case, joy. Some of you may know your U.S. history. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for 30 years. He was a brilliant Supreme Court justice, and as a result of his findings and his work as a Supreme Court justice, he was given the title, the greatest justice since John Marshall. At one point, he was being interviewed about uh, his life, about his calling, and about what all that meant. And as they were interviewing him and asking him about his joy in this experience, about being this kind of influence in our nation, they said, how did you ever come to find this calling on your life? He responded to the reporter and he said, that actually isn't the first career I considered. He said, I actually considered being a minister. But as I watched the ministers of my generation, they were more like undertakers than ministers and I wanted nothing to do with it. I think that's a sad indictment. These were the leaders of the church. And he looked into their lives and he saw them that were supposed to be exuding this joy and life and they looked more like an undertaker than a preacher of God's word. And he went a whole other direction. Who would ever thought you'd find more joy at the Supreme Court than you would worshiping the supreme being of the universe? Well, that's a sad indictment on the church. That's a sad indictment on us who are to be an example and if we're not careful, instead of bearing genuine fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, we can look more like undertakers and bear a plastic facade and a plastic heart rather than a heart full of joy. There was a little boy who grew up on the farm and he was always getting in trouble and in mischief. And every time he would get caught, young people, I always quoted this to my children, my favorite verse, your sin will find you out. I loved always quoting that to my kids and always told them, we're going to find out you might as well get real. Well, he always got caught. And every time he was caught, uh, they would ground him and send him to his room upstairs in that old farmhouse. Well, fortunately for him, as he would go to his room and he'd be confined to his quarters, he realized that as soon as his parents went to bed, all he had to do was open his window, and there was this old fruit tree that had grown just high enough to the ledge of his windowsill that he could climb out at night, go get with his friends, and go cause more mischief. God's spiritual gift for his life and so he would do that and he would do that quite often and he came down to breakfast one morning and was stunned to hear the conversation that was happening between his father and his mother his dad was sitting there and he was lamenting to his wife and was talking about that old tree and he thought his dad had found out his escape route but they were having a different discussion the father told the wife said you know that old tree that old fruit tree it hadn't borne any fruit in prayer. I can't remember the last time we got any fruit off that tree. 
I think I'm going to cut that tree down this week. The little boy was depressed immediately. Uh, what was that going to mean for his future? How in the world was he ever going to get out of time out if he didn't have his tree? So he got with his friend late that night, and they came up with a clever solution. They snuck out, and they found a bushel of apples, and they brought it back in the middle of the night, and they tied those apples all over that tree. So the next morning when they woke up, there would be a fruitful tree, and his dad would have to save the tree. We came down to breakfast that morning. He was all excited about God's will for his life, only to hear a very depressing conversation between his father and his mother. His dad was talking about the tree and his surprise of what he found that morning as he looked out on that tree. And he said, I can't believe what I'm seeing with my eyes. I've never seen fruit on that tree in forever. And, and now I look out and there's apples all over that pear tree. The boy was caught. He thought he would make that tree look like it was bearing fruit. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. I think sometimes we know Christ and our salvation but we don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we understand we should be loving as Christians. We know we should be joyful. We know we should be tender-hearted. We know we should have self-control. And when those things aren't present in our life, what do we do? We try to tie the fruit on. I'll be more patient. I'll be more loving this week, God. Uh, just be patient with me and I will be. And we try to manufacture the fruit. And you can't do it. All of that is plastic. It can only come from the root, and we must be rooted in the Holy Spirit. It's time that the world doesn't see a plastic Christian faith, but actually sees the fruit of the Spirit that lives through us in the Spirit. How does that happen? Well, I'm going to dig in. We're going to find a lot of scriptures this morning. If you have the YouVersion app, you can find all these verses there. If you find PCBC, if you don't, take some good notes this morning. There's some great verses. You're going to see literally... Uh, more than you would even imagine was possible about this issue of joy. Go to John 15 this morning. John chapter 15 and verse 11. Jesus teaching about this concept of joy, uh, a reality that is very, very rarely considered by most Christians. We hear about joy, we sing about joy, and then we think joy is related to a bullfrog and we're all messed up when it comes to joy. It's all throughout Scripture, and Jesus taught on it quite often. Here he is, verse 11. He says, these things have I spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. See, Jesus' desire for your life is not that you just go to heaven one day. He wants you to have an abundant life. He said, I've come that you might have life abundantly. Full of abundance, full of love, full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit. And yet so many Christians only have experienced that peace of God that gives them a ticket to heaven, but never experiencing the Holy Spirit living inside of them. He said, I speak these things to you that my joy might be in you. You see, joy is not some kind of feeling or emotion. Joy is something that happens inside of you. Joy is a result of a work of God that he does inside of you, not the issues that happen on the outside of us. That's where happiness comes from. Our happiness is based on what happens in our life, these external things. Joy is something that happens internally, what God does in us. And if God is doing a work in us, he says, you will be full of joy. So let me ask you on the joy meter. Full of joy, no joy. 
full of the Spirit in your life and you have that joy no matter what's happening on the outside or somebody or something has robbed your joy, where are you on the joy meter? It's weird that today I see so little joy. Uh, it's even in the church. We find ourselves being robbed of our joy just like the rest of the world even though Christ lives in us. We let the external impact the internal. So Jesus taught earlier, just a few verses earlier, back up to verse 7, the only way that you can experience that joy is you've got to experience a work on the inside. For Jesus said this in verse 7, if you abide in me. That picture is a, a one flesh union. It's, it's, it's being put like a branch into a trunk of a tree. The only way there's fruit on the branch is if the branch is abiding in the trunk. And if you're not abiding in Christ, and Christ is abiding in you, there is no fruit. But he said, for those who are abiding in me, my Father is glorified, and you will bear much abundant, overwhelming fruit. There will be an abundance of love. We'll be full of joy. And if I'm not full of joy, the reason is I'm not abiding in Christ, and I'm not letting Christ abide in me. It's not because there isn't joy to be found in the Lord. It's because we're not plugged into the Lord. We're not filled with the Spirit. So how do we get there? What if your joy meter is less than it should be? Let me give you some joy verses. Take a look at it. Let's look at several. Write these down if you need to. Romans 15 verse 13. In Romans, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. You're not going to see the word happiness. You talk to most people and say, you know, if you had one wish, man, I just wish I could be happy. That's the most foolish thing you could ever, happen, uh, you could ever ask for. Now, we all want to be happy, I get it, but happiness comes from what happens in our life, and quite frankly, there aren't always a lot of good things that happen in this life. You will not be always happy, but you can always be full of joy. There's a difference. Because of what's going on inside of you, not what's happening outside of you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That word joy there is an internal reality that is expressed on the outside. It literally, when you break it down in the Greek, it is a result of understanding that you are a person in God's favor because of his grace. It's literally what it means. This joy comes from an understanding that God so loved me, he sent his son. And that because he sent his son, I have God's grace. And because I have God's grace, I'm now a child of God, and I have favor with the king of the world, the king of all eternity, and I am his child. And because of that, no matter what happens in my lifetime, no matter what happens on this earth, I can still have joy because I got God's grace. Where? Deep, deep down in my heart. And because I'm overwhelmed with his grace, nothing can overwhelm me. As long as I stay anchored in that understanding, as long as I allow that to happen, first receiving that grace into my life and then abiding in that grace, I will be full of joy. Go to Romans 14, back up a chapter. Romans 14, verse 17. And it says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Ah, oh, man, bummer. Bad news to a Baptist. Man, if it was about the eating and the potlucks, man, we'd have a corner view in heaven, would we not? 
But it isn't about what we consume. It isn't about what we try to find our pleasure and our comfort foods or drink. But what is the kingdom of God? It is righteousness and peace. And what's the next word? Joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're a part of the kingdom, if you're a child of the king, you should have the righteousness of Christ, peace with God, and full of joy. But the only way you can experience that, look how he tacks it on, it's found in the Holy Spirit. It's not found in this world. It's not found in a better job promotion. It's not found in having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's found in the Holy Spirit. But as we live in this world, as we walk through this earth, as we walk life in the Spirit, we will experience life. And Satan will use everything he can to try to steal your joy. To steal your joy. There was a story of a Christmas party that was going on. It happened to be a church staff somewhere, and uh, their preschool minister had had a very difficult year. Uh, Lots of pain and lots of issues in her family. And she was just kind of discouraged this Christmas season, but they were going to have their staff Christmas party. And like a lot of staffs or other Christmas parties, they always do that white elephant gift exchange, right? You've been there, done that? You get to go pick a gift, you get to open it up, and that's yours as long as somebody doesn't steal it. And it goes to the next person. If they want it, they get to steal your gift. Well, she opened up what was God's gift for her in that moment. She needed this desperately. She opened up this poster, and on this poster, it said, Joy to the world. It was perfect. It was a reminder to her that she could find joy in this world even though the world was robbing her of her joy. And she was just kind of clinging to it until the next person opened that gift, decided they didn't want it, but they wanted hers, and so they stole her poster. She had to go get another gift and retrieve it, and, and there was another gift. And on it this time was a doormat that said, joy, joy, joy. And she's like, this is a message from heaven only to find the next person on staff stole that one from her too. After the party, she ended up with the last round and she got one of those and was able to take it home. And the pastor made a note and he said, you know, it doesn't matter how many times somebody or someone's trying to steal your joy. In the Holy Spirit, we always can be full of joy. So what is it that's stealing your joy? We can make up all kinds of excuses why we just don't have any joy right now. We can let other people or we can let things steal our joy or we can realize that no matter what happens on the outside, we can keep abiding in that joy on the inside. The psalmist had to learn it. Turn over to Psalm 126. The Psalm 126, verse 5. There's a lot of meanings related to this truth that David's about to give us. It talks about sorrow. It talks about heartache. I believe in this case it was his heartache over his sin. But there's also lots of other sorrow that comes our way. Sometimes it's not because of our sin. I believe in this case it was probably David's sin that he was grieving over. But there's other things that bring grief in the journey. And if we're not careful, we can let life suck the life out of us. We can let it steal our joy. But look at what the Holy Spirit inspired David to write. For those who sow in tears. As we talk about the fruit, in Galatians it says, Whatever you sow, you will reap a harvest. If we want to reap the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we've got to sow the right seed. In this case, the psalmist said sometimes we have to sow tears. And these aren't tears of joy. These would be tears of heartache and brokenness. It might be tears of suffering and heartache. 
And as we are experiencing these external things that are heartbreaking, as long as we're surrendering that to God and experiencing and abiding in Christ, even though we're abiding in this issue, look at what we reap. We can still reap shouts of joy. Don't let life suck the life out of you. Let the life of Christ and the life of the Holy Spirit be the fruit of your life. So how do we sow in tears? What's the value of that? Turn over to Psalm 30, verse 5 now. Psalm 30 and verse 5. David gives another perspective of tough times, struggles in our life, but still experiencing joy. He says this, look at it, Psalm 30, verse 5. He says, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes when? In the morning. What does that mean? You've probably heard that, but joy comes in the morning. Makes for a great song. We can sing it all day in church and not experience in our life. What does it mean joy comes in the morning? Well, I think there's a couple of uh, things we can draw from here. I think there's a practical uh, lesson to be learned here. Just like when you wake up in the morning, after the darkest hours of the night, the way we know it's a new day is the sun is rising. I think it probably was a time in David's life when it was real, real dark and he was getting up as was his custom, as was Jesus' custom. And I think that in that moment, in his hurt, in his sorrow, in his struggle, he still was pursuing the God who created him and the God who was protecting him and the God of joy. And in the first part of his day, in that morning, even in his hurt and his suffering, he continued to pursue the life-giving God. You take a look at that picture, you see the sun rising, you see the word of God open, you see the start of a day, that's how Jesus modeled it for us when he was on this earth. There would be tough days in Jesus' life, there would be times he would be ostracized from a community, the Pharisees would be boycotting him, there would be people who didn't want to hear his message, there would be attacks of the enemy, there would be challenges with his very own disciples, and he would spend a whole day trying to separate the Chihuahua disciples. And he'd be exhausted and overwhelmed. He would end his day and he would begin his day, as was his custom. Always seeking the Father, the source of all joy. But joy comes in the morning. It's like manna. We've talked about the parable of manna in the wilderness. When Israel left the bondage of Egypt, which is a picture of us leaving our old life that was in bondage to sin, and now we have a deliverer, Jesus, who is leading us to a one-day promised land. And in between, we have this wilderness journey. And as Israel was in the wilderness, there was no fast food, there were no restaurants, there were no grocery stores. Only God who could feed Israel. And every day, God would pour out from heaven what they needed that day. It's called manna. And that manna was poured out at a very unique moment each and every day. It was at the very beginning of the day. It was in the morning, the early morning. And those who would arise and those who would seek the manna, they would have everything they needed for that day, enough groceries for the day. Those who slept in, no groceries. Those who tried to pack in too much, it would rot. Because God was teaching them, only in me and my provision can you find what you need. And that is true when it comes to joy. You're not going to find it in this world. You're not going to find it in eating and drinking and partying. You're not going to find it in human relationships. You're not going to find it in the physical realm. You can only find it in God's provision. And it comes in the morning. That's the practical. But I think there was also an eternal picture here. 
I think there was another picture of joy that comes in the morning. The disciples were out for three years. They left their fishing businesses, their tax collecting, their other callings in life to follow this rabbi named Jesus. They gave him everything. And three years later, Jesus checks out and says, guys, I'm leaving you. I'm going to be crucified. And they said, you can't do this. There's no way. No, you can't go there. And Jesus went to the cross. He went to Calvary because of you and because of me. They buried in a tomb. They saw him crucified. He was buried in a tomb where all dead people go as their last hurrah. Three days later, they came to that tomb. And the Bible says on that third day, early in the morning, the stone was rolled away. Jesus would resurrect from the dead after paying the penalty for the sins of the world. And he, early that morning, joy comes in the morning. That grace was accomplished through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So there is a practical and there is an eternal purpose to this. But there's also the real re reality that joy comes not in a circumstance, but in the form of a person. Luke chapter 2. You can turn there. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. That's that Jesus who would rise from the dead. Before he could rise from the dead and pay for our sins, he first had to be born into this world. He left his throne in heaven. He took on a body, flesh, and a manger. And on that night that he was born in this world, in that darkness, he would eventually be light and joy. The Bible says, an angel appeared and said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? A great joy. Joy to the world. All you boys and girls. Because God so loved you and me, he sent us a savior. Born into this world. Born to be a substitute, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. That's the message of great joy. And joy is not found in my circumstances. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. That is my joy. And when I'm abiding in that Jesus, and that Jesus is abiding in me, I am full of joy. So if you're not full of joy today, guess where the problem is? It ain't his problem. It's my problem. I have all the abundance right in here. I just got to plug in to the joy. So how do I do that? What does that look like as we go through scripture? Let me take you to some. Go to Psalm 43 this morning. Psalm chapter 43. As you get to Psalm 43 in verse 4, it says this. The psalmist, who probably was struggling with his joy, he was dealing with the reality that he had sinned. He had disappointed the Lord in his choices. And listen to what he said about discovering that joy again. He says, then I will go to the altar of God, to the God of exceeding joy. When we mess up, the enemy loves to whisper in our ear, uh-oh, look at you. Did it again. There you go, sinner. There you go, betraying God again. And he convinces us like Adam and Eve that instead of running to the altar, we should go running from the God of the altar. Instead of us seeing God as the God of exceeding joy, we see him as the God of exceeding judgment. That's not what the psalmist saw. David understood, 
my God is the God of abundant joy. And I'm going to go running back to him. Even though I haven't brought joy to his heart, I can still receive joy from his heart. How do you see God today? Is he the God of exceeding joy? Or is he some grumpy deity that's just up there with his lightning bolts? The psalmist said, I will go to the altar. That altar, that word there for altar in the Hebrew is that place of sacrifice. It's that place of atonement. It's going back to that in the form of repentance. And the people would bring their offerings to declare, I have sinned and I need a covering. And the psalmist said, for me to have that joy right now, I've distanced myself from God and my sin and this situation. I've let my joy be robbed and I must come to the God of exceeding joy. And I come to that place where God made it right. I come to my Savior, Jesus the Lamb of God. I confess my sin, and the Bible says He will cleanse me of all unrighteousness and restores the joy of my what? The joy of my salvation. Take you to another verse, Psalm 16 and verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11, he continues on in this understanding of how to regain the joy. He said, For you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there's what? Fullness of joy. If you're not full of joy, that's that joy meter. If it's on the low end, that is a picture that you have distanced yourself from God. It isn't because God has withdrawn his love. He is a God of exceeding joy. It's just God is holy and here he is. And when I was abiding in him and him and me, I was full of joy. And then I looked and I thought, whoo, man, I need some of that. That's, that's what I need. I need some of this. Just like Adam and Eve looked to that particular tree, we looked to our own trees. We looked for other fruit other than the fruit of joy. We fall for the plastic, and the enemy starts to reel us further and further and further and further down the line. And because we're no longer operating and living in the presence of God, we live in the presence of our flesh in this world. And our joy is stolen. There is no joy outside his presence, but the psalmist said, all I have to do is turn from this and return to him. Because in his presence, in that loving relationship with the God of exceeding joy, that's where I find my joy. So there's some people today, some of us in this very room, that need to return back to his presence. The need to experience the fullness of joy. Psalm chapter 4, verse 7, he declared, For God, you have put more joy in my heart. When he came to that altar, when he was living in the presence of God, he said, God, you have put more joy in my heart than all of my peers who have all the grain and all the wine. What was he talking about? The grain would be a picture of their wealth. They lived in an agricultural society, and your wealth was determined by the size of your herds and the size of your crops. That's what you sold and made money with. And then the wine was the picture of their pleasure. And he said, while they run to the material and they run to these things of pleasure and they think they have joy, they have pseudo joy. But God, you have put in my heart way more than they can ever manufacture. And all the things they'll ever pursue, God, you have given me more. He was full of joy. We're almost done. You need a few more verses? You get them anyway. Here we go. John. 16, go there, John 16, verse 22. Quit looking at the clock, we're still, oh no, we're not, we gotta go. All right, John 16, 22. You listen much slower today, I don't know what happened. 
Jesus said, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. He was speaking to his disciples. I know you're down that I'm dying, that I'm going to a cross and I'm leaving you. But know this, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus was always talking to the disciples about this issue, joy, joy, joy. I'm going to put joy in you. I'm going to be abundant joy in you. If you abide in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. You can have joy and no one can steal it from you. And then they crucified Messiah. Robbed their joy. They're hiding in the hills. What have we done? Did we waste these three years? Was this a lie? How could they kill the Messiah if he's the one that's supposed to be our deliverer and now he's dead? Did we just live three years of a lie? No joy. On the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Spirit. Jesus told them, you wait and I'm going to send you send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you power. And no one will ever steal your joy. We fast forward into Acts chapter 13. You don't have time to turn there, but in Acts 13, verse 52, it says that these disciples that were now full of the Holy Spirit began to take the gospel in all the world, and the world hated it. And the world had many of them in prison, and the world had many of them killed, and they kept telling the story, and they kept living in that joy, and they kept going. And it doesn't matter what was happening to them on the outside, all this persecution, it says this, and the disciples, listen to this, the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They knew there was something different because they lived different than the world. They were full of joy in the Holy Spirit. The world looks at the church today, all they see is people get up earlier than them on Sunday mornings. God help us. May they see us full of joy. May they see us as we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. May they not see a bunch of sour pusses, but may they see us full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Full of joy. No matter the external. And so Peter says this, and we close. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Peter who had some dark days as well. Peter, who had to wonder, man, could God ever use me again? God did. He would preach the first gospel message at Pentecost. I would have thought it had been John, the beloved disciple, uh, the one who stayed closer to Jesus through that last few days of his life and all the way to the cross. But no, it was the one who denied him three times. You see, God is the God of abundant joy. He's the God of restoration and grace. And in his tears as he would weep as he would betray the Lord he would go out in the night weeping as he sowed those tears of repentance God brought him a new joy and listen to what he preached after Pentecost verse 8 and though you've not seen him I saw him with my eyes Peter would say maybe you didn't we haven't you still love him and though you did not see him now but believe in him you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible all to his glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Peter said this, you can't describe it, all you can do is experience it. You can picture it to a world and you can't even describe it, but God's joy is just flooding out of your heart. Why? Because you've experienced the grace of God, full of joy. Are you full of joy? If not, return to the altar. Not necessarily this altar, but return to the one who made it possible through the blood of Jesus. Go to that altar today. Say, Lord, here am I. Cleanse me of my sin. Run to his presence. Don't run from God any longer. Run to him and say, God, 
fill me with abundant joy. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, full joy.